the buy side community are people like Fidelity and Capital and T. Rowe and Ron Barron and Kathy Wood ourselves. You know, let's start with the sell side. So I'm more bullish than most of the sell side analysts. My price target is higher um, and my estimates are higher. So just as an example. If you're an investor in Tesla, you'd probably want to know who owns the stock, who's buying and who isn't. Surprisingly, at this time, there's equal ownership between retail investors and institutional investors, both at 43% ownership and the remaining 14% by Tesla insiders, with Elon Musk owning 13%. With 43% institutional ownership, Tesla is gaining favor amongst the big guns. In July, Vanguard bought an additional 2 million more shares as they continue to accumulate each month. They now own 8% of the company. Luckily for us, there's a handful of portfolio managers who has worked at these firms in the past and who is now regularly part of the Tesla community. Today, we get to talk one-on-one -on -one with Gary Black. Gary Black is the managing partner and co-founder of The Future Fund, an investment advisory firm focused on investing in growth equities of companies that are changing the world. Gary has extensive experience spanning nearly 30 years, having been CEO at Aegon Asset Management, overseeing $120 billion in assets, CEO at Black Capital and Janus Capital Group, and CIO at Goldman Sachs. Check out the Future Fund's ETFs when you can. Their new fund, Future Fund LS, FLLS, trades on the New York Stock Exchange Long Short Fund, which we'll discuss a little bit more later. Welcome, Gary. I know you'll be able to help me get brighter. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Herbert. Good to see you. Fantastic. Thank you, Gary. So you're quite well known um, in the Tesla Twitter community, the X community now. And also you are regularly on many shows, including CNBC quite a bit. So why don't we get off, start with a bat. You know, I don't know if people have actually heard your story how did you discover Tesla very early on? Uh, you're you really are a Tesla bull, although you're you're more of a realistic bull. But uh, you represent Tesla in many ways to the institutional firms that are out there. You're still very much in contact with them, but also you represent them to again on TV and so forth. So, uh, how did you discover this? Because as we know, many institutions were very reluctant to get to Tesla early on. So you're right. We're we're very bullish about Tesla. It's our second largest position in both FFND, which is our long only portfolio, and FFLS, which is our long short portfolio. Uh, and we still think there's a lot of upside, uh, even though it's run a lot this year. Uh, the way I got started in Tesla, I was in Miami, um, and I can't remember why. I think it was at some conference, and I went into the Tesla store because there's a lot of talk about it. This is in 2019. This was in, um, I want to say August. And I decided to take a test drive and I was just floored <laughs> as the thing, you know, I took it out <laughs> of the store and it just like took off. And I was like, wow, this thing is very fast. I, I had a Porsche Cayenne at the time. I've always been a Porsche owner. I had a lot of 911s. I had a, nine, a Cayenne at the time, Cayenne Turbo. And I was just amazed by how quick it was and how it just felt so advanced compared to Porsche. And I, I loved my Porsche. And so after I got back, I built, I, I came back to my office. Um, I built a model and, you know, that's what the analysts do. And I tried to figure out, okay, it's not making money today, but mm. I knew that people were buying more EVs and at EV adoption, which was tiny in the US, it was probably two or 3% at the time, you know, it was going to go higher because I felt like, you know, climate sustainability was a trend that, you know, people were paying attention to. And so I built a model and lo and behold, I came up with it. Tesla actually looked pretty cheap, even though it wasn't making money. Because if I could say, okay, EV adoption was going to go from 2% to now you think about it globally. And I was thinking 30% at the time. And Tesla was going to capture a certain share of that EV business. Um, and, and you could look at, you know, what it was charging, average selling price, what its margins could be over time as it got bigger it could actually generate a lot of earnings as you get out four or five years. And so I came up with a model, came up with an earnings number and put a multiple on a time, you know, Tesla was trading an infant multiple because it wasn't making any money. And then I discounted back and I said, wow, at the time stock was about 15 bucks a share. This is, you know, everything after the split adjusted because it's split, you know, 15 to one since then. And I, uh, I bought the stock and I just, you know, I've, I've been long almost, the entire time since that time, 
except for one brief period. I think it was 2021 right. uh, when Elon decided Bitcoin. to buy Bitcoin and they wouldn't provide any guidance. And so I got out of the stock. Um, and this is, I can't remember the exact price, but it was, I want to say it was like 850. This is all, um, it was after one split because I remember it split five for one in 2020. You know, so let's call it 150. And then it dropped to about 600. And then I got back in because I thought, okay, um, they weren't going to buy any more Bitcoin. It, it, a couple months had passed. And, you know, I, I didn't like that they were buying Bitcoin because one, I just don't think Bitcoin has much value. Two, that's not to me as an institutional manager. You don't spend cash buying Bitcoin. You, you know, you either give the cash back or you just keep it as cash. So that was why I got out. Then I got back in once the stock dropped and we've been long ever since. That's the story of how I got it. No, fantastic. So yeah, you actually saw the product, which is great, right? You actually saw the product and then you were bold enough to buy 2019 when, was this after the whole, you know, debacle of Tesla's about to go bankrupt, the Model 3? It was actually during it, Herbert. You know, 2019 was kind of a wacky year. There was a lot of talk. They weren't, I think 2018 was probably the worst year. Right. And then even still 2019, there were a lot of Tesla Q people and the short interest was very high. And when I'm looking for a long That's position, right. I like seeing high short interest because that means, you know, if they can beat, they can really, you know, the stocks can explode and it's something you got to be gotcha. careful on the short side. But I, I, I think there's a there's an opportunity out there to just have a collection of high interest longs, you know, take the universe of any stock with short interest above 10 percent at the time. Tesla was way above that. And just find the ones with the best fundamentals and put that into a portfolio. But I just thought that, and, and I used to engage, this is back again, August, September, October of 2019, once I bought my shares, I started engaging with a lot of the shorts. So David Einhorn and I had a, a very, you know, I don't want to call it strange relationship, but we were engaged with each other and we talked to each other a lot. And the same thing with Chanos and, you know, a couple of the other folks mm -hmm. that are still there. And, um, you know, I just wanted to see as an institution, you know, what they got, what kind of bullets they had, what, what made them so convinced that Tesla was going to go to zero. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get there. I, I didn't, I didn't really saw what they saw, you know, and their, their, their reasons have shifted over the years, you know, like what, what they said in 2019, then changed yeah. in 2020. And they talked about excess inventories. They talked about hiding vehicles. They talked about. Um, you know, FSD was a sham. I mean, there's been so many reasons they've been short. I've lost track of them all. But, you know, to this day, the shorts, you know, have been batted back. And now the short interest on Tesla is very low. It's about two and a half, three percent. So it's, you know, the, the bulls have won, you know, in, in my mind. Yeah. And we'll talk about your future fund, uh, long short fund. So you are not a stranger to shorts. And in fact, you, you're kind of balancing it out, which is interesting because you're playing both sides of electric vehicle uh, game. We'll dive into that later, but you know, let's level set a little bit, get folks up to speed. What is your Tesla price target? I know that as a as a kind of a portfolio manager, you are a quant. You actually have spreadsheets and you follow everything along. And frustratingly, for many people like me, you don't put light items in that I want you to put in already for products that are about to come. As a retail investor, I believe that those are coming, and uh, that's why I invest before they come. You won't put them in until you're pretty sure you can line item it out. But you do have spreadsheets, and you follow it. So tell us, you know, how you built that spreadsheet, what's in, what's out, and what's your t uh, price target. Okay. Well, first, let's just distinguish. I'm not a quant because quants are they use factors. You know, so you know anybody who's a fundamental sure, sure. manager takes issue with being called a quant, and I'm, I'm actually a bottom up bottom up stock picker. I like to do research and doing research, you know, I, I think a 360 degree research, I like to talk to the customer. I like to talk to suppliers. I like to talk to competitors. And of course I talk to the company okay. and that, you know, that, that, that forms the basis of what an analyst does. And then, you know, with that information, they go out and they build a model and the model means many things, but I start with a market. So the market can be SAR, which is the, 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 the standard selling, Rate and I look at things globally, but I try to build it up by market. So I think of the world as U.S., Europe, China, and then rest of the world. And so I try to think of a selling rate in each of those markets. I try to come up with where the EV adoption is, um, and then I try to come up with Tesla's EV share. Now I know that frustrates a lot of people because 
Elon's out there saying, well, there's no such thing as you know the EV market, but it's just a modeling technique. And, and it's more precise to me to have two variables per market. So EV adoption and an EV share. If you multiply the two, you get overall share. If you want to just take market share, that's fine. But you know, to me, it's it's a more precise way of modeling, and that's why I do it the way I do it. And so for for instance, in um like my current investment thesis, which so just think about the model the way I just laid it out. We have EV adoption globally at about 10% last year. I have it going to 60% by 2030. So it's going from 10 to 60. And the SAR grows at about 2% a year. That's the selling rate. So it's about, just think about 80 million units of cars and light trucks per year, growing at 2 to 3% a year. And what you've seen over the last couple of years, so if EV adoption goes from 10 to 60, you can take that, figure out what is the growth rate associated with that. So take 60 divided by 10 and raise it to the one eighth year without getting too quanty on you. But that's about 30% a year. So I got a 30% per year tailwind for Tesla on volume if they can just hold their EV share, which they've been doing. And so this year you saw that in the first quarter, and like uh, there are people who publish this data, but if you want EV volumes, EV hyphen volumes publishes the data that I use. And so this year in the first quarter, I think Tesla's share of that EV business was about 21%. And then it dropped in the second quarter to about 19. It's going to drop in the third quarter because as you know, they're refreshing model three. And so you're not, and, and Elon's actually warned about this. They're not going to produce as much in the third quarter and they're not going to deliver as much. So EV share in the third quarter will probably drop into 16. So what I have modeled over the next couple of years is that EV share holds steady at about 18 to 19%. So that by 2030, I'm at, Again, start with 80 million units times 60% times about 18%. I get about 10 million units looking at it, that top-down perspective. And I'm trying to build it up by those major markets that I outlined before. I get about 10 million units by 2030. I know Elon's telling people 20. But if, 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 if Tesla sold 20 million units in 2030, that would mean they have 25% share of the market, which is twice as much as the market leader today, who is Toyota. And so that, that math doesn't make sense. I mean, nobody since you know Ford many, many years ago has had 20%, even 20% share of the market. Um, so I'm happy with my forecast of 10 million by 2030. I then, so back to your question about how do I get my price target, I put an average selling price on those units. I try to come up with an auto gross margin. Um, that gives me my EV gross profits. I add in the, the way Tesla does it. They look at energy. Um, and they look at, um, uh, they call it services, but it's mostly charging stations. So I add revenues and, and profits for that. I back out R&D, SG&A. I try to forecast free cash flow. So I come up with an interest expense line. Um, so then I come down to profit before taxes. I look at the tax rate based on the, the mix of different markets. How much is US? How much is Europe? How much is Asia? And I come up with a net income and then I, I, I back out you know, some of the um, variables that Tesla backs out to come up with what they call adjusted earnings. So like stock-based compensation gets backed out, um, but then it results in more shares. So what I wind up with is an earnings per, an adjusted earnings per share number. So for this year, I'm about 360. The street is about 340. For next year, and we can talk about the differences if you want, I'm at 540. The street's at 470. And then by 2030, I'm up at $24. The street's at about, I want to say, 14 or so. So so on my $24 number, I try to figure out what is the PE at which Tesla should trade it in 2030. And PEs are based on future growth rates. They're not based on the industry in which could be unlike what the bears say. And so going forward from 2030 on, Tesla is not going to grow at the same rate it's growing from between now and 2030 because EV adoption is now 60%. So going from 10 to 60 is a lot of growth going from 60 to 100 is not as much growth. And so I use a PE of 30 times for 2030, sure. to $24 of earnings times 30, that's $720. And then I discount that back. Now, this is where, you know, some of the real you know, financial wizards come at me because I use a discount rate of about 13% to discount it back. So cost of equity, if you want to think about it that way. And the way I do it is I start with the risk-free rate. So right now the risk-free rate is, is over 4% today. It's the highest it's been since 
I want to say 2021. Um, but I use a three and a half percent because you're supposed to look forward. So I'm trying to figure out where the 10 year is going to be over the next, you know, 10 years or so. So I use a three and a half percent discount rate. And then you look at the equity risk premium. So how much does do equities return versus risk-free bonds? And normally it's about 6%. That's the average. But then I multiply that times Tesla's beta because you have to look at things on a risk-adjusted basis. If, I'm, if I own Google, it doesn't have as much risk as Tesla. Tesla's beta is about 1.6. So I take 1.6 times 6, that's 9.6%. Add to my 3.5, that's 13.1%. That's the discount rate I use. I, I discount back from 2030 to today, and that's how I get $320 of price. And I've used that same methodology for years, and as long as I'm consistent with all, all the stocks I own and, and consistent over time, I think it's a good it's a good process. And I, I, I don't ever want to be accused of just picking a price target out of thin air and saying, oh, well, because the stock price has gone up, I'm going to raise my price target. I always want to Thank give you, people, here's, here's how I came up with my number. Yeah. And while I get yelled at a lot of times, I say, wow, you're Price target's way too low compared to right. you know, Kathy Wood at Arc and so and so. It's like, well, it's my process and it works for me, and you know, yeah. it's it's what I do. So you know, as long as there's consistency and there's discipline, I feel like I'm yeah. I'm, I'm I'm doing a good job for my my investors. Right. Deep deep respect for you. Um, I appreciate you walking me through all that. <clears throat> and uh, you know, like like we've you and I have discussed before, you are actually compared to the other institutional firms. You are a bull, and like you said, you're you know uh, debating against shorts. Um, but when compared to retail investors and how we think, that's where we kind of debate a little bit. So I would be remiss if I don't say that uh, your yeah. ten million of, of uh, target for twenty thirty of cars sold by Tesla is ridiculously well, low. Yeah. Okay, of course I'm going to say that. I just have to say that, and I can explain all that why. Uh, even your comment about Q3 this year being uh, lower, we, you know, you saw Alexandra Mertz break down the comments made uh, by both Zach and Elon in the last earnings call. And they basically said very slight, there's going to be a, you know, a week or two where they slow down production, but because of the, re, re, you know, improving the lines, it's going to bump back up again. So I'm not expecting a massive reduction, but that's okay. That's just this quarter, no, not a big deal. Just to be clear, I yeah. just expect just you'll, you'll, you'll maybe, dip a little bit. Sure. That's just this quarter anyways. In my mind, it's not a big deal. And then, of course, it seems like you, you know, you, this is the EV market and, and, you know, you have to decide what's going to happen to competitors and whether or not they're going to be able to, you know, match. I mean, the reason Toyota is maxed out at 12 million is because you have what 50 other automakers that are able to produce gas cars that they've been doing for a hundred years. And they're, you know, basically now paired parity in terms of production. They've gone through the 70, 80s of the quality wars. This is not the case with EVs. We're at the very beginning, and we're seeing a lot of people not be able to catch up. But the expansion of the TAM, right? Now we've got Cybertruck, we've got this compact car, and mm -hmm. you can't just think sitting still. You're basically looking at where they're at today and then mapping out to the future. you got to kind of, that's where you and I debate. You need to plan what's going to happen every year, additional new products, additional energy and robots and all that stuff. You won't add them until maybe a couple of years from now. So your numbers will change as the years go on. Um, so the, the interesting, what I, so what I, the comment I made was that you are basically a bull compared to institutional firms. And we really appreciate as uh, Tesla retailer, retail investors to get your feedback and the way you think, uh, because you share that you were the CEO of massive institutional firm funds. So can you tell me a little bit, how do institutional firms think? Um, how do they, how do they look at Tesla today? And like, I guess the question is, we're seeing more and more of them buying in now, especially after getting the, um, uh, the, the, the credit. Yeah. And yeah, that, that one and the, and the investment grade credit investment rating. Grade. But yeah. yeah. Tell me, tell me though, what is the biggest concern they have today that why they have, for those who haven't yet, why aren't they piling in at this point? Yeah. Well, look, and just be aware that institutions is a broad, broad category. Yeah. And so Institutions can be the sell side community and they put out estimates. Remember, their job is to generate commissions. They're not really right. picking stocks per se. You know, if you think about what they do is they try to get buy side clients to pay them commissions. And so they try to add value through their research and through their client service. 
And so, you know, when I talk about institutions, it's both the sell side community because you got to compare your estimates to them because those are who publish. And then, you know, the buy side community are people like Fidelity and Capital and T. Rowe and Ron Barron and Kathy Wood ourselves. And so, you know, let's start with the sell side. So I'm more bullish than most of the sell side analysts. My price target is higher um, and my estimates are higher. So just as an example, I'm at 540 in earnings for next year and I have 2.8 million of volume. So I'm looking for 53% volume growth for 2024. And to your point, it's because Cybertruck is coming. And I can look at the difference in my numbers because I can see Bloomberg. I, I pay $2,000. People ask me, well, where do you get all those pretty charts? Well, you pay $2,000 a month to Bloomberg and you can have whatever pretty charts you want. But I can see what the consensus numbers are pretty much by line item. So I can see what they want, what they think is going to happen in energy. I can see how much units they have. And so where I'm different from the street next year is I have much higher volumes than the street does because I remember what happened in 2021 when the Model Y came out. You had a new product. You know, it's new news to the category. And, you know, my prior life, Herbert, I was a product manager for J&J on the Tylenol business. So I understand what? branding. Yeah, I worked I, didn't see, I did not see that in my research. You were, by well, the way, to tell you everybody you're a Harvard MBA, you're a Wharton economics. I didn't see well, product manager for J&J. Come on. Well, but I want people to understand that I've actually worked for a living. I haven't just been a... Yeah financial analyst my whole life. I started as a product manager at J&J on their flagship Tylenol business because it was the dream job that I always wanted. I always liked the consumer. And when I got it, I was bored. It was just a very, you know, slow moving business. And, you know, I had a big mouth then and I would say we should do this with the packaging and this with the advertising and this with promotions. And, you know, people say, well, you've only been here for six months, Gareth. So, you know, you know, take, take, take a pill. You know, <laughs> I wasn't going to take a pill. So anyway, I, I, I gravitated to Wall Street over the next three or four years. A guy that, you know, I had worked with between my two years of business school found me. And by that time, I had gone to work for Trammell Crow as a real estate uh, manager. I was managing a whole bunch of properties for Trammell Crow, big real estate developer out, out in Scottsdale, Arizona. And, you know, it was a brand management type of job. You, you, you had to basically convince 20-somethings and 30-somethings, why they should live at these high-end properties and pay rents that were higher than everybody else. And the guy who hired me lived in San Francisco, and he wanted product managers. So anyway, long story short, the guy that I had worked for two my two years business school found me there and said, hey, we have an opening at Sanford Bernstein, great research shop, and you were pretty good at research, so why don't you come in and interview it? And I said, well, what does it pay? He said, well, it doesn't pay that much. I was making pretty good money at the time. And long story short, they, they paid me about a third of what I was making, but said, look, the upside is it's huge. If you're right and you get ranked as an analyst, you know, you can make multiples of that, which turned out to be true. So back to the buy side, the institutional community, you know, so, so the sell side does what it does. Their job is to generate commissions. The more commissions they generate, the more money they make. And you, you always have to remember that their job is not to pick stocks. They should be right. But that is not the number one criteria that drives their their their, their dollars. If you think about um, Adam Jonas at Morgan Stanley, he's not, in my opinion, he's not the best analyst out there. But he's very merchandisable, and he generates a ton of commissions, and he asks for the order, and so he makes a decent amount of money. The guy that people pay attention to is Tony Sakanaki. He's the number mm -hmm. one Apple analyst. He's the biggest bear. People ask me about, um, you know, John. And uh, who, who I, I don't even nobody listens to him. He's he's just he's yeah. out there. But Tony Sakanaki is a real player. The hedge funds listen to him. He's been bearish on Tesla forever. And so you have to know what he's thinking. So at least you can you can when when something happens, you can at least say, well, here's the way the bears think. So that's why I pay so much attention to Tony and other bears, because I want to basically knock down their arguments. And I think if you're a bull, you have to be able to do that. You have to understand what they're talking about. So the sell side is out there. There's 50 analysts, I think. Um, let me see what the, the ratio is of buys versus holds versus sells. Right now, I'll tell you what it is on my Bloomberg. It is 40% uh, have buys on the stock, 40% have holds, and 20% have sells. So that's actually a more even distribution. In it. Like if you type in Apple, yeah, um, you're going to see. Uh, let's see, Apple's got 
uh, same, about 50 analysts covered, 67% buys, 25% holds, 8% sells. And so Tesla has a more skeptical contingent on the sell side. And I think, so back to your question, what is it that the sell side, and then we'll talk about buy side institutions in a minute, is most skeptical about? I think they're skeptical of Elon. As much as, you know, we all love Elon, you know, the brilliant, but the crazy, I think they worry that, you know, he doesn't, he's a great engineer, he's a great product guy, but he doesn't always make the best marketing decisions. And so they worry, you know, oh, is, he, is he going to blow up the company again? Mm. You know, the way, it's not that the way they blew it up last year, but he cut prices and the stock fell 55% in the fourth quarter versus NASDAQ was flat and anybody who owned Tesla got crushed. And so the worry that people have is, you know, is he going to do other silly things? Like remember he had this idea that you should only have a yoke steering wheel on a Model S or Model X. And we were out there very aggressive saying, that's dumb. You should give customers a choice. He said, nope, I'm just going to give them one. And, you know, he turned out to be the wrong decision and he went to offering choice over time. And look, we could talk about it later. You know, he's changed the Twitter brand from Twitter to X, which I have very strong opinions about. And I know a lot of people in the advertising world do. And, but, you know, he's, this is what he does. And, you know, he's, how do you bet against a guy who's the richest guy in the world? And he's right more than 65% of the time. You know, he's usually right. You know, he usually gets things right. So, you know, the, the, so, so the challenge with, with, with Tesla is it, it's very dependent on Elon. You know, there's very big key man risk. It's not like there's a, you know, a well-known number two or a bench who's going to take over if, you know, he were to get hit by the proverbial truck. And so that's that's probably the biggest reason people are going to struggle with it. The second biggest reason that, you know, he's, he's one guy and it's key man risk. The second biggest reason I think institutions worry about Tesla is because, you know, now they don't have the playing field to themselves. And there's always been competition coming, right? We've always heard about Chevy Bolt and Nissan Leaf and, you know, other, other EVs coming. But that was a bit junk, you know. They they they, they don't they don't. It's not like the EQS from Mercedes, or you know Rivian, or other very high quality EVs that are coming out now. And so a lot of institutions say, well, when they had the whole field to themselves, you could you could bank on their earnings growing up at fifty percent a year. Volume's got fifty percent a year, but now you can't bank on it. Maybe they will, and I still think you're going to get volume growth of thirty five percent a year based on my models. And I think you can get earnings close to you know forty percent a year, but a lot of institutions are worrying that you know with so much competition coming in, and this is um, Tony Sakanak's bare thesis that they've never faced competition as they're going to face over the next couple of years at the high end, and so that's something people worry about. And I, I, look, I think we just have to get through it. I think the the third thing that people worry about is he's putting so much of his time and effort in FSD. And, you know, he says it every year. The car is going to drive itself at the end of the year. And people like me, it's not that we're skeptical. I think he'll get there. I just think others will get there as well. And, you know, I, I look at a lot of different companies. I own Baidu in China, which has, you know, a lot more hardware in their stack. And they're already at level four. And they're in four cities where they're licensed to offer robo-taxi rides. Um, and, you know, if, if they can do it, others can do it, right? So... I get the point that nobody's got as many miles and experience as Tesla. Nobody has the compute Tesla has. Nobody has the talent Tesla has. But people can catch up. And I know you disagree with me on this. And so I think that's the other worry that people have. That he's putting a lot of time and attention to that. And if everybody gets there around the same time, where does that leave you? And I think that's that's a worry that you know some people have. But I, I still like Tesla, and I'm still a bull. It's still our number two position. I love arguing about it and I love, you know, going after bears who say the competition's coming because the competition's been coming ever since I've owned it and it just hasn't come. Right. Thank you. Well, I mean, that's, that's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I, back? I read something this morning. That yes. Said, it's coming back. It's on a new, new the Altium, it's on the Altium uh, platform. I have a theory of why they pulled it and pulled it back. They want to get the loan from the government. That's my theory. Uh, just like Ford got 9 billion. I think okay. that they were playing for that. That's just my theory. Anyways, you know, I you know, appreciate you walking me through the three main things why the institutional firms um of course I completely disagree with all of them. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not this is not the uh the time for me to go in depth about it because 
you know, I, I just really wanted to know what they're thinking. And that's a fact. That is how they're thinking about it. Um, and of course, you and I disagree about FSD. We disagree about a lot of things. But I still, again, as I say, I always appreciate that you're at least the leader of these institutional and they listen to you. I mean, you guys talk to each other regularly and I for appreciate sure. that, right? Yeah, tell yeah, me about that. You you well, you got phone so calls the, from each other all the time, right? And you're well, you're, I, you're, you you're imparting knowledge, right? And that's why that's why our, our retail is trying to change you so that you will yeah, change your language I, to them. I can't, I can't. And that's that's silly. I mean, if you're a portfolio manager at Fidelity, I was just at Fidelity two weeks ago. He he'll listen to me because he respects me, you know, from my analyst days. But he's not going to change his mind because they they do as much, if not more, research than I do, and you know they they have a view of and they they follow a lot of companies and you know what I think a lot of retail investors miss is they're looking at Tesla in a vacuum and a lot of these PMs they're they're looking at other industries where similar things have played out where new competitors no. show up and and no and they say okay well here's what's happened in other industries and I hear that all the time you know it's like well in in this industry or that industry I saw you know this dynamic happen and look that they they they're entitled to that. And, you know, think about what happened last year, okay? There was a lot of debate when they started discounting in China, which was the fourth quarter, about whether Tesla was going to have to cut prices. And, you know, shame on me for not getting out of the stock when it was 350 because it went all the way to 108. And you say, well, a retail investor, they, they don't have to do that. Well, they should have when you think about it because you could have you could have bought back three times as much at 108 if you got back in. You could have three times as much stock. If you sold 350 and then when it hit 108, you buy it back. You could have three times as many yeah, shares. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I I never took you as somebody who times the market. Although you do seem to be timing the market on a quarterly basis, because no one can time the market unless you think that. If you see I mean, fundamentals you, change, Herbert. If you see fundamentals, and that was a that was a big yeah. change that they were going to have to cut prices, and you know they did, and that was something that a lot of people got right. I didn't. Well, the, you know, the, I didn't. The fundamentals that changed was the economy, and the economy hammered everybody. Oh, and on. Apple and Tesla were the last. Apple and Tesla were yes. the last to fall in September, October of 2022. It's not the everybody else fell. Herbert, the economy never weakened. What, the, what the, economy, the, the interest rates rose so high, and this is a high asset vehicle that people can't afford. Elon has talked about this all the time that you it changes the price of the product just because the interest rates went up because vehicles are purchased through leases and loans and so forth. So interest rates go up, their monthlies go up, they can't afford it. And so they have to cut the prices to do that. And then of course, there's the long-term strategy of Tesla that, you know, forego that for growth, get as many cars out there, gain the market share later, that strategy, which I completely agree with. And it's a short-term hit, but um, if, you know, timing it, uh, if people can time the market, then they do well, but most people can't time the market. And so you just hold strong. And, uh, you know, and, and by the way, the, the other comment I want to make is that, you know, us retail investors are different because we really study this. We know everything that's going on. Don't the institutional know that is the competition coming or not? Do they know the profitability of all these companies? Do they know everything that's happening to them and they're struggling? They're, we have not had anybody. You're, you're missing the point, okay? When yeah. you guys say, well, they're losing money on it. Well, of course they are. They're not making that many Startups. vehicles. And if you're GM or you're Ford, you've got, you've got huge resources behind you. So they know. To their credit, they have to be in the EV business. The whole world is going to be EV by 2030. They have no choice but to lose money on every vehicle and to just keep, you know, losing money and hope that they can build volume. So, of course, they know that, but but that's not that's not what's driving, you know, the debate. You know, if if, if Ford is losing money on every product, but they keep investing in it and they keep advertising it, at some point they're going to grow their volumes to 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 be such a point, just like Tesla did. Where they'll break even. It's not like Tesla's going to put them out of business, right? Unless you believe that. You really think Tesla's going to put Ford out of business or GM out of business? I, I do. I do. I do Why? believe that Ford and GM will not be the Ford and GM that they are today in five years. They will survive because of bailouts, which they're getting the the loans. But it's true. It's, it's true. It's, it, so if you remember the comment you just made, which is you know uh, some of the institutions look at other industries. I can't think of a single other industry where an incumbent of a legacy technology survive the transition to a brand new technological change. The EV change, a software-driven car, 
uh, that's ne- and then eventually RoboTaxi. Those two things um, are just not in the wheelhouse of these old legacy automakers. And so to think that a legacy automaker, oh, it's just a car. I built a car. I can build this new car. It's just a different brand. That's not the case here. It's you like don't a think whole, like that, Herbert. Like, you're, you're, you're being naive, okay? I'm sorry. You're being oh, naive. I hate, love that when people call me that. Love it. No, because think about it. You know, Mary Barra and Jim Farley are not just thinking, okay, I built the car the way I always built the car, and I'll just build another car. That's not the way they're thinking. They're investing a ton of money in autonomy. Think about Cruise, okay? Cruise is owned by GM, right? It it, it, it may not be the way, you know, you, you would go or the way the Tesla would go to geofencing area, but they're building out an autonomous vehicle. I think you should look at the Chinese makers because they seem I to do. have the most yep. momentum behind autonomy and in EVs, and they're backed by the Chinese government. The Chinese government is, is, is helping them, okay, which that's going to continue to happen. And so, you know, if you look at somebody like Baidu, they have level four autonomy. They have the Apollo Go uh, cars in four different cities in China, each with 10 million residents. Right? You can't just say, oh, well, nobody else can do what Tesla does because other people aren't. I think that's where the disconnect is. Retail investors, no, 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 say, so nobody else can do yeah. what Tesla does. And that's well, just- uh, yeah, okay. Well, since we're going to talk about FSD then, I mean, I, I do have to respond because if I don't, it's sure, like I don't want the people to not hear. I don't want to necessarily debate you uh, end, yeah. end to end here. But, but you know, for example, I mean, uh, you know, we, we do know that Cruise uh, announced that they're now expanding to Nashville. They're now in seven cities. Waymo just announced that they're going to be showing up in in Austin. So these come and then the the Chinese ones. By the way, just to to you know fill this out, some news that happened today and uh, last night was Xiaopeng, the director of uh, the the lead of the autonomous vehicle, left uh, most likely because of the partnership between Xiaopeng and Volkswagen that happened. Very likely, it's not a coincidence. And then the Li Auto. They announced that they're not going to, well, it's not official, but there's rumors that they're going to no longer do LIDAR. They're going to switch to vision only. So any company that's doing LIDAR, like Waymo and Cruise, they're shit out of luck, right? And so, but let's let's talk about that a little bit. So they are expanding. So RoboTaxi is available in these cities, just like you said. So when you say that, you know, Tesla's not going to be the only one, yeah, I agree with you. That's the case today. In fact, these guys are the only ones doing it now. But what happens when... Tesla turns it on, let's say in Austin, and they have 20,000 uh, Teslas able to do point-to-point, not restricted by geofence. And because they have so many cars, they're able to price their, uh, because you know they are able to price much lower, undercut it. Uh, will, will Waymo and Cruise still survive at that environment? Maybe, but, but they'll have a very small market share at that point because in order for them to expand, how much money, by the way, they're losing a ton of money, right? Uh, you got to tell me their their profitability. They're not making any money. And by the way, these are driven by humans, right? So they're it's autonomy. But then when they need to, there's a human that's actually going to pull it out of the case, right? They're going to do that kind of stuff. So it's kind of it's uh, crippled, and it's only during nighttime, all those kind of things. So they, they can't afford it because the cost of them to deliver this, and and so while they're expanding cities, it's not because they've solved the business model. And now they're selling direct to consumer and they're making huge profits. Uh, this is the difference between the business model. And I go with the business model that it's uh, unencumbered versus one that is just for show. So by show, it looks like that they're there, but it's not an actual business. So we, again, don't necessarily want to go too, mu- too long on this, but yeah. Saying, so we, we fundamentally we'll disagree, right? Yeah, you believe that. It's going to be a. You think that it's a commodity. FSD is a commodity. It's not, a like, commodity. It's not a commodity. It's just the test has a head start. They have a couple of years yeah. of head start, but others will catch up. That doesn't mean it's a commodity. Okay. Look, I okay. agree with you. And, and so go back to the basic fundamentals. Tesla is going to sell more Teslas once it achieves what I call level four autonomy, where the car drives itself. Okay. But I'm not going to double count it and then say, okay, on top of that, you know, $15,000 for FSD or $199 a month. On top of that, I'm going to count even more for licensing as other OEMs decide they're going to actually uh, have Tesla, you know, do their hardware and software and convert their cars into EVs. Okay. I, that, that to me is a double count, right? So once I go down that path, I think I'm, I'm cause I'm already counting those cars that people are going to buy Teslas are going to spend $15,000 they're going to spend $199 a month. I'm not going to then double count it again in somewhere else. So that's the challenge I have. I'm sorry. 
ones, right? That's the challenge I have with some of the bull's math that, you know, they're, they're double counting this FSD. And that's when people say, well, I've got a thousand dollar price target of which 200 comes from this and another 200 comes from FSD and another 200 comes from right hailing and another 200 comes from, you know, and a lot of it's, it's double counted. And I, that's, that's the challenge I have with a lot of the, 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 mm-hmm. the bulls that, you know, post their stuff out there. Hey there, thank you for joining me. If you can, please consider supporting this channel so I can keep it going. It's a lot of work arranging all these amazing interviews. One of the easiest ways is just to click that join button and become a member of the channel. Thank you very much. Let's get brighter. Okay, well, I think some of that's fair. So can we um, talk a little bit about uh, your catalyst? You're known for your catalyst. I'm known for the milestone list. So we we got to share that as our uh, contribution to the to the Tesla community. Um, but your catalysts are pretty well done. Uh, very appreciate them so much because you look at kind of the overall things that you think will uh, impact the stock near term. So why don't you walk me through? I saw the one that you published this morning. Uh, tell me what you're thinking uh, is going to impact the stock in the next six months, uh, year. Okay. So, so the number one thing that institutions are looking for is that margins have troughed. So gross margins. So gross margins last year around 26. They hit 30 in the first quarter. I think on average last year, there were 26. They went to 19 in the first quarter. They hit 18 in the second quarter. And what people were hoping for on the earnings call was that Zach and Elon said, okay, this is the bottom. They're not going to get any worse than this. But they didn't, they didn't, they didn't take that bait. And, you know, in fact, they said, I want to say the opposite, but they, they didn't want to assure people that margins couldn't fall further. That's when you heard Elon say, well, you know, if the Fed takes interest rates up again, we may have to cut prices again to keep the payments the same. And that freaked everybody out. And that's why the stock was down to 10 percent. Um, I'm still holding on to the thesis that margins have troughed. And so the first thing people want to see as a catalyst when you get to third quarter, that margins haven't gotten any worse. Okay? 18 is fine. I think the street's looking for about 18 and a half. Um, but that's a catalyst, you know, if, if we can, and so look, you can cut prices if it's offset by cost of goods, but that's not what's happened so far. They've cut prices in advance of cost of goods reductions, right? Otherwise margins couldn't go from 26 to 18, right? So that's the first catalyst people are looking for. The second catalyst I'm looking for is Cybertruck. Cybertruck is going to be a, a rolling billboard. Everybody's going to see it. They're going to say, wow, that's really amazing. And they're going to go to the website and they're going to go to the store and they may not buy a cyber truck. They may buy a revamped model three or they may buy a model Y, but you know, it'll, it'll spark interest the entire Tesla franchise. And that's what happened in 2020 and 21 volume growth in 2020 was 36, 21, it was 87 because of model Y. And it wasn't just model Y. There was very little cannibalization of model three, which is what all the bears were banking on. There was actually some cannibalization, cannibalization of model X. But it, it really ignited the whole franchise. And that, to me, is a very huge catalyst that the bears are missing. The third catalyst is what we're seeing, we're talking about today, is the refresh Model 3. You know, I think, yeah, you're going to see a little bit fewer Model 3s sold, you know, until you get to the point where they launch them. But I think they'll make it up because it'll be a new car. It'll be a whole different look. It'll look more like a Model S. It's going to have a grill. It's going to be, you know, much sleeker looking and much more updated. The headlights, the taillights will be different. And so I'm hopeful that they can get that out pretty quick. You know, we keep hearing August 14th, they're going to shut down the factory in Shanghai for Model 3. But I'm hopeful that, you know, they can get the new Model 3 up and running pretty quickly so you don't have that much down volume. But, you know, even if they do for the third quarter, and this is back to what I said originally, that volume could be off a little bit in the third quarter, they, they can explain it away and the institutions will say, okay, that's fine. So that's that's a catalyst, a refreshed Model 3, because they haven't ever refreshed the car. And then the fourth um, catalyst is the $7,500 credit in the U.S. that they're getting this year is a yep. tax credit. That becomes an yep. off invoice, so it goes into your loan amount when you finance the car. That'll be huge. And Gen then, um, yeah, model uh, the, the, the last catalyst, I think, is, is, is when FSD gets to be level four and this means Tesla has to take the liability associated with calling it level four, which they don't today. I think that'll sell more Teslas. When I look at California, there's, you know, there's different levels of, um, we'll call it autonomy licensing. And there's four right now that are deployment. They have deployment licenses. There's seven that have um, 
driverless autonomy. And then there's like 40 that have what Tesla has, which is so-called level two. To be in the first two categories, you got to be level four or level five. And yeah. so when you get okay. to level four, that, that'll be helpful. That They'll sell more Teslas. Perfect. Thank you for that. I do want to get to your future fund. I want to deep dive in that as well as in the last five minutes we have here. Uh, but thank you for that, Gary. I think you really get to Cybertruck and I think you get the Model 3 Highland. I think the Model 3 Highland, people forget that the sedan is the second largest uh, category of cars globally, maybe not in the U.S., but globally. It's a massive, and this will the Model 3 Highland will separate the price point and have a much more clear segmentation separated from the Model Y and in between the compact. And so between that market share and between the Cybertruck and then the robo-taxi, yeah, you bet we're going to hit over $10 million, Gary, but uh, okay. Well, so uh, $25,000 so, vehicle, which is, you know, we didn't even right. talk about that. That's going to exactly. happen. Exactly. So do, what do you want to talk about? You got the future fund, which is what you are, what was your bed and bread and brother, butter, and then you launched a new short, long, uh, high conviction stock uh, fund uh, ETF. So tell me, first of all, I love that uh, Tesla is number two. It should be your number one, but you think Google's number one. <laughs> Google's worked for us. You know, look, over the last year, you know, Tesla's actually, I mean, it's done well this year, but it's down 17%, NASDAQ's up 19%. So, you know, it hasn't been, you know, over the last year, it, it's been, it's not been a great stock for us, you know, and it's right. because they took prices down in the fourth quarter. Right. And, you know, thank God we, we held on and, you know, told people to bug off when they were giving us a hard time about owning it. But, you know, mm -hmm. Google's been a great performer as, you know, has Microsoft, as has Apple. So let me just tell you a little bit about the future fund. We started this with the view that ETFs were the future, active ETFs. Um, people like the transparency of ETFs. Every night you could see what we're doing. If we make a change, like when you added Baidu, you know, people DM me and say, well, wh why do you own it? Tell me why you like mm -hmm. it. Or if we get out of a stock, people want to know that. And I think that's the future. Investors today want to know what they own. And they want to see every night, and Kathy Woods figured this out a long time ago, um, they want to know what's in the portfolio and what's changed. So we're, we're transparent, but we are high conviction. You won't see closet indexing here. We own 30 names. Um, we, you know, again, we build models. We get conviction about each of these names. We do our research. We're bottom-up stock pickers. And so when we, we own a name, we have an upside down side for each. We have a price target for each. We can articulate how we get there. And, you know, we, we want to do what we call deep research on each of these names. So you go through the first 30 names and we can tell you why we own each one of them and you know, what our price target is going to be. Um, and I think, look, what, what I like about it is... Um, because we know the names, nobody, you know, when people think about it, they're not thinking about us as just, you know, trying to, you know, get to an index. You know, when you think about long short, which we just added about a month ago, we're trying to get to an S&P type return, there you go, uh, with about half the risk. And so we can add alpha on the short side. So you look at our number one short position, it's Toyota. Toyota's down about 3% today. And, you know, the reason we, we don't like Toyota, the reason we're short is because they have no EV presence. They're less than 1% of their volume is EVs, and they really have not gotten anywhere, you know, trying to build an EV business. And it's very funny watching the industry. They've gone from, let's create entirely new brands. So you think about Polestar, which spun out of Volvo, and rather than just call Volvo EVs, which would have been smarter, they try to create a whole new brand. Um and I think what the, the industry has learned, that's not the right strategy. The right strategy is to take an existing brand. So take Porsche. Porsche's largest selling product is the McCann. It's a smaller SUV. And launch a McCann EV. And then the Cayenne EV comes next, rather than create a whole new brand called Titan. And so I think that, you know, they're learning. The industry is learning that that's the right way to do it. Um, and as the industry learns, and look, they're going to spend money on advertising. They've, you know, they're, they're going to be behind Tesla because if you drive, for instance, a Ford Mach-E, which I have, or Volkswagen ID4, they just feel buggy. They don't feel, you know, um, like a Tesla does, a sleek. But when you drive an EQS, and there's been a couple of videos, they're very quiet. They're very smooth. And, you know, a lot of people say it's a great car, but it's a $100,000 car. So I do think there's competition out there. Can they compete with Tesla? You know, the jury's out. I'm betting that Tesla, because they have Cybertruck coming, because they're going down the cost curve with the next gen, we'll call the Model 2 in 2025, 
because they're refurbishing the Model 3. They can, and because of FSD getting to level four, which they are ahead of everybody, I grant you that, I think they can continue to grow their EV share. And that's why we own it as our second largest position. When people go EV, they're going to naturally, just like in the 1960s, when somebody decided to buy a computer, you know, they would go with IBM because it was a safe choice. What's funny about Tesla, I had this debate with an investor last week, ubiquity is a dual-edged sword. It's a stamp of approval for somebody who um, has never bought an EV, right? So because a lot of people own them and they see them and they trust that they've done their homework, they buy them. But ubiquity is also a negative and it, you know, people don't always want to drive the same thing their neighbors drive it. So as we at, at, at Future Fund think about this stuff, we try to think about number one, how does the consumer think and why do they buy one brand versus another? And if there's going to be competition showing up, can Tesla, for instance, withstand the competition? Same thing with Google. When Google has to deal with, you know, ChatGPT being part of Microsoft Bing, you know, Google is entrenched and they will, you know, in search, they own 90% share. Will they be able to withstand what might potentially be a better product for a couple of years? And the answer we have is yes. So, you know, that's the type of research we do. And look, it's worked for us, our, our performance this year. If you look at like Morningstar categories, you'll see that we're top quartile. We're beating the Russell all cap growth, which are benchmark by about 700 basis points. Um, you know, in this type of environment, which is a growth environment, and you know, just to give you a little bit of 10 second of macro, when the Fed starts to pivot, which we believe it will later this year, right. as long as you don't have a recession, you got to believe the later Fed this year. So called you're the first I've heard that. I believe that too, but you're the first I've heard say later okay. pivot if, later this year. Not you believe pivot. If you believe the Fed can navigate a soft landing, so land the economy at zero growth and not go below it, which is hard, um, growth will do better than value. And that's what you've seen historically, that when the Fed goes to, from a tight monetary policy to accommodative monetary policy, as long as you can avoid a recession, growth will do better than value. You should yep. be investing more in growth stocks than in value stocks. We should be. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Well, Gary, thank you so much. That was fun. Uh, Love you. I really do. I like uh, the way you think. There's a lot of things that frustrate us. Yeah, <laughs> we debate. Okay. So make we'll continue debate. those debates. Respectful. As long as it's respectful, but, people should and, debate. And we have to remind ourselves that 90% of everything you actually do agree with, with everything. Just those, you know, remaining things. Uh, but thank you so much, Gary. That was fun. You're on Twitter. Uh, very, you know, follow him. One of the few. Uh, folks who have the experience of uh, institutional firms and knows what they're doing at Gary Black zero zero. Check out the website at uh, www.thefuturefund. And you know, you just saw two ETFs: the Future Fund, the Bread and Butter, and now his new one, the Long and Short Fund. Uh, it looks like you're long six, you're long twenty nine, and you're short sixteen, and you balance the two out. Wonderful. Hopefully, we generally you enjoyed run that too, bro. Gary. Net. 60% net long is kind of our sweet spot, you know, for kind of yeah. where we are today. So again, in the bull market, we're not going to do yeah. as well as ARC, but in the bear market, we're going to protect you much better. And look, we believe right. as the Fed pivots, it's going to be choppy. And if you believe that it's going to be choppy the next 12 to 18 months, you probably be, you should be hedging a little bit. Yeah, gotcha. Makes sense. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate okay, you. Okay, Herbert. Good to see yeah, you. Bye -bye. Thank you.